Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Looking at Psalm 19 this morning. So if you want to make your way to Psalm 19, it is almost in the middle of your Bible. A little bit, take a left-hand turn if you make right in the middle of the Bible. Psalm 19. Did the air kick on yet? Okay. If you get cold or you need coffee, let me know. I'll step down. I'll get you something. Uh, we have shawls, RVC shawls. You can go out to our connection center because it's sort of weird, Clovis Unified. It's like, it's, it's like super blazing hot in the wintertime and it's freezing cold in the summertime. And so we went, we're trying to find a way to make it uh, a good, happy medium, right? So we don't want your porridge to be too hot. We don't want it to be too cold. We want your porridge to be just right, Goldilocks. So welcome to RVC. The book of Psalms, as we mentioned three weeks back when we began this journey, it's really the hymn book. So when you read through Psalms, Psalm 1 through 150, the nation of Israel, this was their hymn book. This is what they sang. All these words were written with the ability or to have the accompaniment of instruments, lyres and harps, right, and trumpets and and other musical instruments that they had in that day. And there were songs that were praiseworthy. There were were songs that were giving praise to God. There were songs that declared their faith and their trust in God. There were psalms, in in fact, in the next couple weeks, there were confessions of sin as David confessed how he had greatly offended God and had broken God's commands. And so it was songs about confession. And there were songs that teach about Jewish history to the next generation. They would sing about how God was faithful to take them out of the land of Egypt and God God had walked them through difficulty and walked them through, uh, through their journey into the promised land. Each one, though, centers on faith and trust in the Lord. This morning, we're looking at Psalm 19. It's probably one of my favorite psalms. I love this psalm. I read it often because it's just, it's so just filled with just beautiful things about who God is. And I, I think about David writing this psalm, in fact, many of the psalms that he had written, that really they had been birthed in his heart in his early days as David was a shepherd for his, his family's you know, sheep. He tended the sheep. And, and, and because he was a shepherd, it wasn't like, you know, hey, you know, wake up, play some Xbox, and then go out and check on the sheep. This was like he was out at night in the freezing cold, under the stars, protecting the sheep of his family. And I imagine in those undistracted moments that David just saw God's creation. And knew that God was a God who speaks to the human heart. And it was there perhaps that David began to, to, to read this, uh, to, to write this psalm in his heart that God eventually brought to pen so that we would have it uh, in our Bibles today. You know, many people wish or, or say things like, oh, I just wish God would speak to me. I wonder if God is saying, oh, I just wish people would listen to me. You think about the voice of the Lord. God is always speaking according to what David says. And I think that sometimes as Christians, we can get uh, a little dull of hearing. You know what I mean? Where you just get a little bit uh, like, like spiritual wax in your ears, if you would. Where you just, it's, it's like, um, it's like uh, Snoopy, no, what's a, a peanuts, uh, help me out. What do you call that? What's that creepy little drawing cartoon thing that we're talking about? Does anyone, the peanuts, the teacher. Wah, 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 wah. And you open your Bible, and it's almost like, oh, Lord, I really want to hear your voice. But man, sometimes we get our ears filled with spiritual wax, clogging it up. We don't hear so sharp. It could be that we're running around with some unconfessed sin. Oh, Lord, that's not that bad. 
It could be that we have sort of an apathetic heart, you know, like just apathetic to the voice of the Lord, and so it's not that sharp in our ears. It could be that we just become lazy spiritually. We're no longer willing to kind of uh, allow God to speak to our heart. David says, God is speaking. The voice of the Lord is going out. And we begin this morning looking at verse 1. He says this about, about God. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the ends of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. We'll pause there for a moment. David begins by saying, hey, God's voice is going out, and it begins with God's creation. The voice of the Lord through his creation. David says, the majesty of creation, it speaks of a majestic creator. David recounts how glorious the God of creation is. He talks about the sun rising, right? And the, the sun setting, the stars and the moon the clouds to David all shouted the glory of God and how glorious our God is. When you look around at creation, if you and I would put our phones down, right, and, um, and, and actually kind of just pay attention uh, when, the, you know, when all the air quality gets better. You just look around at God's creation and it just speaks volumes to our heart. God is speaking and we can see through his creation that he exists we can see his power, we can see his wisdom, we can see his goodness, and we can see that he is worthy of honor and worship. When you look around the world that he's created, right, you stand in awe of it. You are amazed at it as it's filled with beauty. And he talks about the handiwork of God, all the different life forms that are around us. Think about all the wisdom when you just look at animals, you look at creation, you see the creativity of God and the wisdom of God. And, you know, just looking at, you know, Proverbs, David's son Solomon wrote the majority of Proverbs, and we see even, even Solomon is looking at creation and says, hey, listen, those of you that are sleepyheads, he said, look at the ants. Even Solomon is looking at God's creation and saying, there's a sermon being preached by these tiny little ants. And Solomon said in Proverbs 6, he said, they don't have a king or they don't have a ruler, and yet each one of them is at work, right, taking away your food from your house. It says they store up their food in the summer so they have it from the winter. And he was like preaching a sermon to those of us that would feel like, oh, I just sort of get, you know, lethargic and you're not working hard. He says even the ants are speaking to us. The birds of the air, Jesus told us, that they, they, they tell us about a God who takes care of them, right? And they live a worry-free life. You think of all the hopping things and the flying things and what we see in the sky and what you see in the, in the ocean. And it's just amazing. God's creation, it just speaks to us. Next time you see something in creation, next time you're out in the woods or you're up at Yosemite or you're going over to the beach and cooling off, man, put your phone down. And just absorb the voice of the Lord speaking through his creation. It reveals his glory, his wisdom, and his creativity. In verse 2, David says, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge to us. It's been said that nature preaches a thousand sermons to the human heart. 
I don't know if you spend a lot of time out, outside or taking a walk out in, the, in you know, at Woodward Park or, or just somewhere outside of these, you know, stucco boxes that we get surrounded by. Walking at River Park, by the way, is not really getting out in nature, okay? You know, many people look around at creation, they stand in awe of it, but they miss out that all creation is really pointing to God. Everything that God created, it points directly to him. In fact, the Bible confirms that the entire world will be stand before God guilty if they do not recognize him as creator. You know, I get a lot of questions as a pastor, you know, like, do you believe that people who, uh, who do not profess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that they will not be saved? And I say, yeah, that's what the Bible says. And so what about those who had never heard of Jesus? And say, well, the Bible tells us that they will be held accountable based on the knowledge that's before them. Maybe they've never heard the name of Jesus Though they have an iPhone, they could look it up. Everywhere I go in the world, there are people that everyone's got a cell phone. I don't care where they are. Dirt roads, everybody got a cell phone. But nonetheless, let's just say they've never heard the name of Jesus. Paul tells us that creation alone, it tells us that there's a God. And that they will give an account to that God based on what they see. In fact, Romans 1 tells us this. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. And through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they know God or they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God is like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious Ever-living God, they worshipped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And think about the, the, the way people describe creation, you know, like uh, there's that, those magical words, you know, you, when you go to your class at school or college, you know. Over billions of years, this world was created, you know, and, and human beings emerged from this, you know, amoeba slime pit or whatever, you know, I was at the beach this week with, uh, I took, uh, got to hang out with my youngest son and we took our dogs to this dog beach. They like, you could like let your dogs run around, you know, at the beach down there in San Diego. And so we let Hurley, you know, run around and jump around. We let little Rusty, his little 14 year old dainty little feet touch the Pacific Ocean. It's sort of like a bucket list for him. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, imagine, I was thinking about this, like if I'd reached down in the sand, like, oh my gosh, like somebody dropped a Rolex watch. God been good to me, right? Put that thing on. I wouldn't say like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Over billions of years, the water and the rocks and the sand, it, it formed this beautiful watch. No, we look at that watch and go, man, there's a smart dude in the Swiss Alps making watches. And I bet you I could sell this on eBay. There's a watchmaker when you see the design and the quality of a watch. And yet the world looks at creation and says, well, over billions of years, it's not possible. All creation is designed to make us aware and conscious of God. And all humanity, according to Paul, is without excuse because God has given clear evidence that he exists, his power, his wisdom, his eternal nature. In verse 3 and 4, he points out that God speaks daily to the whole world, and all nations can understand this language. Though no words are spoken from the stars, yet there's a voice that goes out, and it's the quiet evidence 
of a glorious God who created this world. His glory. You ever go to Yosemite? Ashley went to Yosemite yesterday. I said, how was Yosemite? She's like, we couldn't park anywhere, so it looked amazing from the car. But if you're able to find a parking lot, you know, that you can park in, and you just, you, you go through that tunnel, man, it's just like, oh, it's just amazing, isn't it? I remember years back taking our kids who we went to the lower falls and just standing there, man, looking at this glorious, you know, rock mountain and this water cascading off of it. And there was this tour group from Korea who had showed up and they all got off the bus and they all began to just stand there in awe and they all began to sing. And they, they started singing these words, oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder. And I thought to myself, that doesn't sound like English what they're saying. But I knew the song. I knew the old hymn, right? And they began to just sing, I consider all thy worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. And that's when I could jump in because I knew the next line. Then sings my soul, right? You know the words. My Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And I just stood there, man, singing with these people. They had the wrong, you know, just it was different language, but I was just singing there with these guys. And I just go, man, here we are. We don't know each other's language, but we hear the voice of God speaking. And it, you know what it did? It just made us all stand in awe of who God was. It was a beautiful moment that I shared with my brothers and sisters from a different country. In verse 5 and 6, he says that, that he speaks of the sun going out on its circuit like a groom excitingly leaving his house on his wedding day. Fellas, make sure you're still excited to see your bride as if it was that wedding day. That's a different sermon, but that was for free, ladies. Like a champion runner running his course and nothing is hidden from its heat. Isn't this amazing that the Bible thousand years ago speaks of a truth that we all know scientifically that the sun itself is out on its own orbit, traveling hundreds of thousands of miles an hour through the Milky Way. You cannot look at creation and say there's no God. That's why the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there's no God. Not in his mind, but there's something within us that says, you know what, I don't want it to be true because then there's, a, there's accountability. But human beings have looked at creation and they said creation is God rather than that's the creation of God. So David says God is speaking. Open your eyes, friends. Because the voice of the Lord goes out through his creation. But then he goes further and he says in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. David says the voice of the Lord goes out and he speaks through his creation, but it also goes out when he speaks through his word. It's been said the heavens declare the glory of God and the scriptures declare his grace. You see, creation is limited. It can tell us that there is a God and a few things about this God, but it can't tell us all about him. And so God speaks to us through his written word. And David begins to describe what the Bible is using different titles for the Bible, Scripture, the Word of God, but also its effect on us as human beings. And in fact, if you just walk through this verse by verse, David says this, the perfect law, 
The law of the Lord is perfect. There is no error in the Bible, either in historical fact or in spiritual truth. And then David says its effect on us is it actually converts or restores the heart. Again, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, reviving the heart. It's an interesting thought. It restores. The word of the Lord converts the sinner from his ways and restores the saint when he wanders. God's word refreshes, his voice does, through his word, and it heals. It reminds us about God's grace and forgiveness and that he gives life. I love what Paul tells Timothy. He says, Timothy, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. That word childhood literally means from the womb. There's different words in the Greek language to describe different, you know, adolescent stage or preteen stage or, you know, childhood stage, toddler, but from the womb. We learned that Paul had heard God's truth through his grandmother and his mother, and they taught him the Scriptures from the womb before he could even read himself. And Paul says its effect on you, Timothy, is that they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. There's something powerful that happens in reading God's word. It's more than an intellectual like knowledge you gain. My friends, it's, it's a soul kind of change that happens when you and I as believers say, God, your word will not be, I will not be apathetic to your word. I'm going to allow your word to actually saturate my soul on a continuous basis. It converts or restores the soul. The next thing he mentions about God's word is the voice of the Lord speaks through the word. Is it, It's the sure testimony of the word. It's sure. The word does not change. It is sure. It is steadfast. It is reliable. It is certain. I love what Jesus says about the word. He says, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. You might wonder, like, what are those two words? Well, it's, it's like the, the dotting of an I and the crossing of a T. Like, that's how sure God's word is. In a world of uncertainties, we have something that is sure to rest our lives and our future on. And, and David says that it, it's a sure testimony and it makes us wise. I love what David says in Psalm 119, verse 99 and 100. He said, I have more understanding than all my teachers. We'll pause there. Your kids might already think that just because they're teenagers, right? I remember being in college reading that verse. I'm like, man, why did I go to college? Look what the Bible says. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies, he says, are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients or the old people because I keep your precepts. It makes wise those who are simple. You might feel like I have a simple education, I have a simple upbringing, I don't have wisdom. And what David is saying is that, that, that the sure testimony of the Lord, when you allow yourself to come underneath it and actually read and study and love God's word, that it actually makes you wise as a human being. He says the, the precepts of the Lord are right, or the right precepts. You might jot this down, that that literally means the rules for daily living. The right precepts of the Lord, rules for daily living. They're applicable to the small details of life. How to live, how to have a job, how to work for an, an employer, right? How to actually treat your spouse or how to treat other human beings. Like God's word gives us that kind of information. 
And then, and then he says, it rejoices the heart. Isn't that a beautiful promise that as you and I engage in studying and meditating upon and allowing God's word to work, work through our soul and our life, that your heart actually rejoices. Jeremiah says this about, uh, about God's words that were spoken to him. The prophet Jeremiah said, your words were found and I ate them. It was like on a scroll. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of her hosts. First David said, God's word converts. Then it makes him wise. And now he says it makes him happy. Like allowing God's word to saturate his soul brings this joy within his life. The next statement that, that he makes about God's truth, he says he calls it, the commandments of the Lord are pure and they enlighten the eyes. Nothing in the Bible, nothing in God's word rightly understood would ever lead a person into error or into sin. You think about that. Now, there's a lot of people that take God's word and they, and they twist it, right? And they, uh, and they you, know, you, know, you know, Hitler was a big reader of the Bible. So we're going we're gonna to say that he didn't have a real life application Bible. Uh, not a lot of great application from that. A lot of people know God's word or read the Bible, right? And it leads them in a direction you go like, I don't think you're reading it right. Nothing in God's word will lead you and I into a position that would sin or dishonor God or lead us away from him. And he says it enlightens our eyes. Think about it like this. It sheds light on the issues of life. It gives guidance. It brightens one's life and guides them, even as David said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then he says, that the fear of the Lord is clean. So that's another term that David used uh, to describe God's word. The phrase fear of the Lord is another reference to the law since the word of God actually produces a reverence for God. And so David reminds us of the awe and majesty one has for God as you get to know the God of the word and you get to know his word. And he says it endures. God's word endures other books will fade, other books will be forgotten, but God's word remains. And then he calls it the rules of the Lord. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, as he sort of wraps up his statements about the voice of the Lord speaking through his word. His rules are judgment. God's evaluation on human beings and things are true. What God says, no matter what culture dictates, no matter how it shifts and changes with the times, they're true. God's evaluations are true. They're fair and right and righteous. David's, David says uh, that they are true and righteous altogether. And David assumes that, that, that we, as we're listening to this and reading this, even as David had penned this, that we are wise enough to see that all of God's word is, that God speaks to us in it, that you and I would actually be those that would read it and study it and meditate on it and love it. And as David wraps up this idea, you know, wherever he was and he wrote this, whatever memories he had from his days outside, he says that God's voice is speaking through creation. God's voice is speaking through his word. But God's voice was speaking directly to his soul. You read on in verse 12, David says this about the, his, the impact of the scripture. It says, 
Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And I love what verse 14 says. He says, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So the voice of the Lord through creation, the voice of the Lord through his word, and ultimately the voice of the Lord to his soul. David declares, gang, my life is better because of God's voice and God's word in my life. He says it enriches him. You know, gold was the most valuable commodity in that day. And he says that your word actually is more valuable than much gold to David. Which is interesting because he was a man of great wealth when he finally became king of Israel. Here David says, God, your words to me are of greater value than gold. I wonder if that's why he had such a rich in internal life. David wasn't perfect. David was, David, listen, David was a man who deserved to be on death row in California, executed years back in Texas, if they still do that now. You know, I mean, he, he lived a messed up life, right? He had a guy murdered. He cheated with that guy's wife. He tried to cover it up and say that the, you know, that the baby miraculously was born within five months. Wow. And, uh, and David tried to cover it all up, and the Lord's like, David, guess what? You're busted, man. And people look at David and go like, man, how could God declare that a man that had done all that would be the person described as a man after God's heart? See, David, but David knew God richly, and he knew God's grace and mercy. And David wasn't perfect, neither are, are we, but there was something rich about his life. And I think it's because he actually really believed, God, you and your words to me are of greater value than even the riches that I could attain. And his word also satisfied him. He says, it's sweeter than honey. More, he says, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. It satisfied his life. As honey satisfies the body, the word satisfies his soul. You think about right now, you know, we live in a time where where uh, the, the health and fitness world is like a multi-billion dollar industry, right? People are like, oh, I juice, you know, or I, you know, I eat vegan, or I'm gluten-free, you know, or I'm paleo, and you know, like, I'm eating hot tamales on the weekend. Anybody with me? Because here's what I know. <laughs> Maybe I might gain an extra day. I'm, like, I'm just kidding. You should be healthy. But I'm just saying if we're talking days or hours, I'm going to have some hot tamales on the weekend. Are you with me? Somebody say amen. But it's all for the body. And you can do all you want. And you could, you could you know, have oxygen, oxygen like pumping through your bedroom at night. And you can have all the health and fitness that you want. But there's a day when your body is just like, uh-uh. Like, dude, it's over. Your soul lives forever. I'm not suggesting that you don't take care of your body. What I am suggesting is that there's a priority. Something that lives for eternity ought to take the most value in your life, and you ought to actually invest the most in that part that's going to live on and on and on. And David says, Lord, your word, it enriches, it satisfies 
And he gives two reasons why. Because, Lord, your word, it warns me. Through your word, I am warned. By them, your servant is warned. Is any, uh, yesterday I was driving home. I couldn't believe how many people were on their cell phones driving on the freeway 85 miles an hour. I was snapping pics at all of them. Just like, dude, stand still. Boom, got it. I remember as a uh, drive, and then you know, broom, 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 you know what I mean? When that happens, Tammy, look at me. Are you looking at your phone? I'm like, no, I wasn't looking at my phone, honey. Put it down. <laughs> I'm just seeing if we're on the right road. I remember when Tam was coming back from a pastor's wife's retreat, I had both kids for the entire week. And, uh, and so if you want to pat me on the back later, you can. Caden wasn't born yet. Christian's like 18 months old. Austin's four. And we're cruising down like Newport Coast free, you know, uh, road down to Pacific Highway where we were picking up our, my wife in Laguna Beach, the church I was at. And it was so mesmerizing. It was so beautiful, the view. Christian fell asleep. Austin fell asleep. And I think I must have been like slain in the Holy Ghost or something like that because the next thing I know is that I hear those bumps, those warnings, not loud enough, and then I hit the guardrail. <laughs> okay. Woke up. Everyone woke up. Everyone's crying. We pull up to the church, pick her up. I'm so afraid to get out of the car. I get out of the car. There must have been like a, a, a bolt that Satan had pushed out all the way, and it went from the bumper all the way to all four doors all the way to the back of the car. And so I got Tammy on the other side so she wouldn't see what was up. So her car, by the way. Sometimes, man, you and I, we have that, that spiritual wax in our ear, and the Lord's saying, warning. The Holy Spirit is saying, stop. Warning. See, that's what God's word does. By the way, not to ruin your fun. Oh, Lord, you're so mean. I can't believe you won't let me crash with my two kids. Warnings pop up from God's word. And my friend, you allow yourself to be out of God's word as a born-again Christian. Your life is in a dangerous place because you think you know. And you think you got it all figured out. Well, I've heard this before. Oh, I've heard a sermon just like this before. You and I need to be reminded. There's nothing new. If you've been going to church for 20 years, you're not going to hear anything new. And if anyone from a stage like this brings anything new to you, you should probably run because it's probably bogus and from the devil. There's nothing new. We just need reminders. And the Holy Spirit sends warnings. And David also says there's another reason. It rewards us. You know, money cannot buy the rewards of a godly life, a clean conscience, a pure heart, joy, peace, answered prayer. To David, God's word wasn't a burden. When I think about the different reasons why we would not spend time in God's word, oh, it's boring or it's a burden, oh, I got to have Bible study. Let me just tell you, man, there are so many tangible benefits to the one who will put their lives under the wonders of God's word on a daily, consistent basis. And it reminded David, and it also reminds us that there are times we don't keep his word. We ignore his warnings. And that's what led him to pray this prayer, Lord, of inward purity. 
He was moved by the scriptures. He's aware of his shortcomings as well as God's grace. He's convicted of sin and he's ready to seek forgiveness. As nothing is hidden from the sun's heat, nothing can be hidden from God's word when you and I allow it to be a part of our lives and search out our hearts. The Bible is like a mirror that reflects what we see, James 1.23 says. And Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. God's word is like a strategic, surgical, precise instrument that cuts and removes and reveals. And then David Ask God to forgive them of secret faults because there are sins that we don't even know about. They're not excused. We still need to rely on God's grace. But it's been said that by the time you count up a thousand of your sins, you've committed 10,000 more. Like there's sins that you and I commit that we're not aware of. Lord, I don't even know how jacked up I am. You ever had a, I remember at Fresno Pacific having a conversation with a classmate. He came up to me one day. And, uh, and he said, hey, I just want to forgive you because I hated you. And I'm like going, I thought we were at a pacifist school. Like, what's up with this? Hatred going down at the Mennonites? What's happening here? And, uh, and he like shared something. Like, I wasn't aware I had offended him at a college-like gathering back when I was 19 years old. And I had like, you know, whatever, made him mad. And he was angry with me. And he kept that, man. I'm like, put the knife down. We're at the school Everything, it wasn't that bad, but do you know what I mean? And I, I left that day going like, you know what? Honestly, I was like, what a jerk. But then I thought about it like this. I'm like, gosh, man, we don't even know. Sometimes we're just so, we're so unaware of how we offend a holy God. On a, I wonder on a moment-by-moment basis. So David says, God, I want, I want to be so close to you. I want you to forgive the, the things I don't even know that I have done. David desires purity and to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. He knew he was capable, by the way, and keep your servant back from presumptuous sins. Do you know what those sins are? That is choosing to dishonor God, knowing you can rely upon God's grace. That's like on a Wednesday going, Lord, I want you to forgive me what I did last weekend, and God, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Forgive me for what I'm about to do this weekend. Like That's presuming on God's grace. See, David knew he had the ability to do that. So do you, so do I. And he also said that it had the ability to have dominion over his life. You know that there are, there are things that you and I, if we persist in dishonoring God, we continue to go back to that sin. You think you have control of it. David here says, listen, it will have dominion over me. Let them not have dominion over me. The last place you want to be, friend, is a Christian who is bound, captive, having some sin have dominion over your life where you can't get free. David says, God, forgive me my hidden crud, and Lord, keep me back from that great sin, that great transgression that's going to ultimately have dominion over my life. It's so sad to see Christians getting so captured by that sin. And the Holy Spirit the whole time is saying, stop. He wants his words to reflect a person of faith. He wants his thoughts of his heart to reflect a man wholly surrendered to the Lord. So he says, verse 14, by the way, this ought to be our daily prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable or pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock 
and my Redeemer. Our words and our thoughts, that really can't be acceptable or right until we get ourselves under the influence of God's word. And I love how David wraps it up and he calls God his rock, his rock of refuge, where he has a firm standing, the rock of, of, of rescue, if you would. And then he calls God his redeemer. Lord, you are my rock upon which I stand firm in this world. And God, you are my redeemer. It's a word describing the one who had the power to buy a family out of slavery. If you know the story of Ruth, Ruth's family had gone bankrupt. They had sold all their land. When they came back to the land, she needed a, what they call a kinsman redeemer, someone who is related next of kin to them. And because they were relatives, right, Boaz was a relative of Ruth's family, uh, he could actually buy back the land that Naomi had given up and her husband had given up and give it back to them. What a beautiful concept that David understands. God, you're actually my redeemer. God, David looked to God to be this, where he would take on all of his needs as his own. That's what a redeemer would do. But it also spoke prophetically about Jesus, who's called our kinsman redeemer, who became like next of kin to us. Jesus became a man, took on human body, ultimately so he could buy each and every one of us out of the slavery of sin, the bankruptcy spiritually that we've all fallen under because of sin, and he became our redeemer. Be reminded, God is a rock of refuge in our times of trouble, and he's our redeemer. I love what one pastor said. He said, the glorious God of creation and revelation was also the glorious God of personal relationship and redemption for his people. King David knew this, and so should we. My friend, God is speaking God is speaking to us each and every day. He desires that you and I would know him in such an intimate way, that you and I would hear him and hear his voice clearly, that we would get the wax out of our spiritual ears and we would start listening to the Lord. So how do we respond? Well, one is I would encourage you to enjoy this glorious creation that we get to live around, that you would actually open your eyes when you walk around this, this, you know, the, the community around and when you go to some place of beauty that you would actually just stop and just say, God, I just want to declare you are awesome. You are holy. You are amazing. That you would give us all the different colors of the sky and all the different beauty that is around us. That we'd also listen to his word. That we would open our eyes daily at creation, but we would open our Bibles daily as well and allow him to speak to us. Invite the Spirit of the Lord to join you each and every day when you spend time with God's Word. You might say, man, I don't even know where to start. We started this last January a two-year Bible reading plan because we know that every single one of us can find seven or eight minutes a day, which it takes to actually finish this plan in a two-year manner. You can start wherever you want. You can start at January 1st and just freak everybody out and say, what day is today? Oh, it's January 15th. Or you can start right now with July something. But you allow God's word to get into your life on a consistent basis. Dedicate yourself to the word of God, and you'll see the same kind of results in your soul. You know, I, I told you earlier that, that we do want to encourage you to take next steps. And on your connection card, maybe this morning you say, you know what, I'm going to make this commitment. I'm going to make a commitment. It might be to, to join us in memorizing verse 14, Psalm 19, where you would memorize with us and you would allow it to saturate your heart this week. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When you show up at work and you see that coworker, oh, Lord, let the words of my mouth, right, 
That includes text messages too, by the way. Let the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. The way we communicate with others, the way we communicate with the Lord, the way we actually, what we allow to sort of absorb our thought life. Lord, let it be pleasing in your sight. You might also make a commitment. Maybe you're sort of stuck in the low of summertime. You're like, man, I'm just like kind of lost my way. You know, I took some time off during 4th of July week and I was looking at my Bible reading app. I'm like, you know, they send you little nudge reminders like, hey man, are you okay? Bro, you're all right? Like you missed some days. I'm in the same spot, man. You just get into a different rhythm during the summer months. Man, make a commitment. Maybe you've been out of God's word for weeks or months or years. Maybe you've never even picked up God's word and consistently read it. And make a commitment today and say, I want to spend time daily in God's word. The reason why we want you to put that down is so we can be praying for you and, and I can be praying with you and for you as you make those kind of commitments. Or maybe today is the day that you say, you know what? I want to know this God of creation. I want to know who God is. I want to actually surrender my life to him. You know, one thing that we learn from God's word is this. I love the Bible because it's through his word that we discover that he loves us. We can see that God is good and he's cool that he would give us all this beautiful world but it's from his word that we hear for God so loved the world that he gave his only son and that whoever would believe in him would not perish i.e. spend eternity out uh, out of a relationship with God they would not perish but they would have eternal life it's through God's word that you and I learn that guess what you can't be good enough to earn God's uh, favor you can't do enough good things to actually cancel out the debt of sin it's through God's word that we learn that Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, humbly went to the cross and took the, sin, the sins of the world upon himself, the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve, that every person in this world deserved, and Jesus himself took that punishment so that he could exchange all of his goodness and righteousness in your life so that you could be made right with God, you could have a relationship with God. How does that happen? Will you come to this place in this realization where you admit to God that you're a sinner? You ask him to forgive you and you're willing to turn away from your sin. You believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead three days later and you receive Christ into your heart, into your life. Becoming a Christian is not about believing a, 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 you know, a, a creed, although there are things that you and I learn and know about who God is and, and what he's done. But becoming a Christian is allowing the God of the universe to come and dwell inside your life. There's a verse in the Bible, Revelation 3.20, it says, Here I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would hear my voice and open the door, it says, I will come in and I will dine with them and they with me. It's this beautiful picture of a relationship. And it's interesting if you've ever seen the painting of, of Jesus, he's outside of a door and he's knocking on the door and you'll notice there's no handle on the outside of that door because really, it's your decision. You've got to actually make the decision to say, God, I want you to come into my life. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've been coming for weeks, months, years. Maybe today's your first time. Maybe it's something you've been putting off for a long time. But right now, God's spirit is speaking to you. You want to know the God who created you. You want to experience his voice in your life. You want to know his forgiveness today. I'm going to pray a prayer up here. And if that's you, I want you to take that, this moment and say, yeah, Gordon, would you pray for me? I'm ready I want to turn my life to the Lord. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you so much for your love, God, and thank you for your word that teaches us about you as creator and how good you are, how majestic you are. But Lord, you also teach us about your love. And your word actually changes our hearts. 
literally from the inside out as we allow your word to revive us, to restore us, to renew us. And Father, I pray for my friends here, God. Some are making commitments to be in your word consistently again. Some of them are going to memorize and meditate on that verse, verse 14, along with me this week. But Lord, there might be some today that, that, that need your love. They need your forgiveness. God, they want you in their life. They want to be forgiven. They want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when they take their last breath on this planet that they will stand before you in heaven not because they were good, not because they were religious, but because they had faith in a perfect God. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're joining us today and you, you want Jesus Christ to be your Savior and your Lord, I want you to simply lift up your hand right now, hold it up in place and say, hey, Gordon, would you pray for me? God bless you. Anybody else today? You want your sins forgiven? You want to begin a relationship with him today? If that's you, you lift your hand. Let's pray together right now. Let's tell him together. God bless you. Anybody else? Man, he loves each and every one of you today. But man, is he knocking on the door of your heart? Do not miss this opportunity. If that's you, you lift your hand and let's pray together this morning. Anybody else? This closing moment. Listen, for those of you that just raise your hand and acknowledge that you want Jesus in your life, I'm going to pray a prayer up here on stage. You pray something like this in your heart and you mean it. The Bible says Christ is going to come into your life. And he's going to make you new today. Would you pray with me now? Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And today I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I believe that you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. I trust you. I choose to follow you as my Lord and Savior. Guide my life, Lord, and help me to do your will from this day forward. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the promise of eternal life. Thank you for giving me life today. For it's in your name, Jesus, that I pray.